morning. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard, and it's my privilege to be with you this morning. Hey, before we start the uh, launch of a new series called The Rise of Empires, a study in the book of Daniel, I'd like for us to do something. We had, you got to see a video of a little bit of insight to our staycation kids camp. And it was awesome. I wasn't here for the whole event, but I dropped in now and again, and I have grandchildren who participated, and then lots of other children that I know in the life of the church. And there were smiles all around. There were giggles and laughter. There was water events. There's inflatables and all kinds of craziness, and the kids were having a great time. And you realize that that just doesn't happen, right? Like, You don't just show up and those kinds of things happen. And I just want to say thanks to um, Brian White and our children's ministry team and all of the volunteers who made this happen. So here's what I'd like for us to do. Some of them are in this room that helped make it happen. Some of them are down the hallway. And some of them are appropriately sleeping in. And they're probably watching this online And so whether they're online, down the hallway, or in this room, would you just give them a real big thanks with a loud voice and energy and say thank you to our team. Hey! We're so glad. Kurt and I were talking. And, um, okay, behind the curtain. I'm going to let you behind the curtain. Um, I don't know if you realize how much glitter is in this building. It's everywhere. And so we we vacuum and we vacuum and we vacuum and the glitter is still there. And and so we're always saying, someday we're going to get rid of our glitter. Well, we have a new replacement for glitter. It's called grass clippings. And so if you find grass clippings around the building, it's because our kids were having great fun. And what Kurt said to me this morning, that I absolutely 100% am behind. He said this. He said, if we're going to ruin a building, we're ruining it for the right thing. And absolutely, we're invested in giving our lives and our space and our place, not just to the next generation, but to the now generation. Because God is at work in us for his glory and for our good and through us, the good of others. And so today it's my privilege to just say thank you, thank you, thank you to that team. Thank you, thank you, thank you to each one of you who make your contribution. And I'm really, really glad to be part of the life of this kingdom community. Well, I have an assignment today. And uh, the Rise of Empires, the the introduction to the book of Daniel. Interestingly, everybody's heard of Daniel before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably most familiar with Daniel in the lion's den. Absolutely. Well, Daniel's an interesting book. Uh, It's a composition of past, present, and future. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. So uh, one way to say it is Daniel wasn't written to us, okay? So we're not the original intended audience. It wasn't written to us. 
However, Daniel was written for us. And so when we think about Daniel, the idea for us over the next several weeks is to unpack it in ways that help us to live our lives faithfully in the midst of the rise of empire. And so one of the big pictures in the book of Daniel simply is this. Empires come and go, and God always remains the same, faithful and intervening with his people. And so the invitation for us is to ask the question, how do we live well in times of trouble? How do we live well in times of trouble? So uh, the book of Daniel is a category all of its own. Nothing quite like it anywhere else in the Old Testament. In fact, the Hebrew Bible uh, is in, in Daniel. The Hebrew Bible, Daniel's not found among the prophets. It actually has its own category. It's in the writings. But it is a book that is prophetic and apocalyptic. Prophetic in the sense that it points us toward the activity of God both now and into the future about how God seeks to engage us in comfort, education, edification, not education, edification, comfort, edification, and encouragement, even in difficult times. Apocalyptic in the sense that we say, God's got this. When we look at the end, Revelation 21 is often a picture that comes to our minds we talk about all tears, all sadness, all sorrows being done away with and we live into a new world, a heaven come to earth. And so this is the process of God at work, prophetically encouraging us, comforting us, and edifying us to hang on in difficult times and also saying to us, I've got this. And so we're going to unpack that today just a little bit. Daniel points us toward the work of God, and it's prototypical of God's movement in history, pointing us toward the end of the age. And so there are two really, really big ideas in the book of Daniel that we're going to unpack again and again and again over the course of the next few weeks. The first idea is this from Tremper Longman. In spite of difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. In spite of difficulties, God's in control, and he'll have the final victory. My friend, I've already used the statement, my friend says, God's got this. And so wherever you are today, I want you to hold on to the idea that God's got this. A better way to say it, perhaps, is simply this. God's got you. God's got you. God's got you. The second big idea in the book of Daniel is simply this. In spite of our present difficulties, God is in control, and He will have final victory. All right? Second, number two, God's people can survive and even thrive in the midst of a toxic culture. God's people can survive and even thrive in the midst of a toxic culture. And so today, 
the big idea that's in focus for us is the big idea number one. And so let's go to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter one, just the first four verses. And uh, we're going to read through those this morning. And that's all we're going to read of the text this morning. And it's simply this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand along with some articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure. Put it in the treasure of his house. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king chief of his uh, court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. And so here's the, here's the phrase I want to focus you in on this morning, and uh, we're going to unpack that because it points us toward the purposes of God. And the phrase simply is this, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hand. So as we point ourselves toward the purposes of God, I want to do a little backtracking. Sometimes for us to understand where we are in a text, we have to go previous, prior to that text to unpack it. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Um, you've heard me do this a couple of times recently when I've preached, and I won't apologize for it because I think there's a foundational grounding that needs to occur in us with regard to where we find ourselves in the midst of God's work. And so here, here we go. We go all the way back to the presence of the beginning. The Spirit of God is at work from the very beginning, and it's always for the purpose of His bringing good and purpose and order into our lives. God's good work in creation is to order all things, all things for His purposes. And so we've described this, Genesis 1. We see God hovering over the dark waters of the deep and bringing order to the chaos of the waters that were, that were present in that time. And he begins to speak life into those waters and order into those waters. And this is where his good purposes begin to take revelation. We see the outflow and the overflow of the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an emergement of the full engagement of God visible to us in simple creation. Everything screams of the great love of God and the inseparability of God at work as a community of love. Creation declares this community of love. And all of humanity declares this great community of love. Out of His great love, we're made, being made in His image We've been invited to be participants with him in his work in the world. We bear the image of God, and I've said this before, but it's just ever so important to get back to it. Bearing the image of God informs us of who we are, who we are, identity, and whose we are. We're reminded that we're not self-made. And that's so important because the cultural waters we swim in push against that idea. The cultural waters we swim in encourage us to delight in our self-madeness. 
right? The stories that we love told in this culture and the stories that want to call us to attention are the stories of being self-made people. And I think we're particularly prone to that in Texas. We have this idea of, you know, you know the, the, some of the image that we use when we're facing trouble like this. Well, just pull yourself up. And we would normally add, by your brute straps. You know, like, hey, well, come on, come on, get a hold of yourself. Come on, get a hold of yourself. Make it happen because you are self-made. And, and being formed in the image of God and sharing his image remind us of who we are, but it reminds us of whose we are and the fact that we are not self-made. And then we unpack that as well when we understand as we look around this room, everyone in this room is also an image bearer of God. And so it adjusts the way that we not only see ourselves, but that we see others. And it elevates our compassion and love and activates honor, honor, honor to one another. And so when we begin to unpack this, we, we see all of these things at work. And so one of the great grand inspirations of Scripture is simply this, that we're invited into community with God and we are on mission with God. And Trimper Longman says, the Bible contains one grand narrative and that narrative is this, God's care for his human creatures. And so against the backdrop of all kinds of chaos in Daniel and all kinds of chaos in our lives, the inspiration of the Bible is simply God is at work in all things caring for us, his image bearers, his good creatures. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had to stop right there? Like, God's, God's got it. I'm good. I'm not self-made. You're not self-made. We're in this together. And, and the interesting thing is, if it stopped right there, it would be grand and, and glorious. But it didn't stop right there in the telling of the story of creation. Because the story also reveals to us that as humans created with moral freedom, as Longman says, we've chosen to assert our own independence rather than follow the guidance of God. We've, we've chosen to assert our own independence rather than following the guidance of God. And here's the beauty of what God does in response to that assertion of independence. Longman again says, amazingly, God doesn't give up on us, but he pursues us with reconciliation. This is an observable pattern of us humans in our relationship with God. This is what's happening in the book of Daniel. 
the question I asked at the beginning that you maybe saw pop up on the slide about Daniel is, well, how did they get there? How did we get there? And the story of how we got there is the assertion of our own independence. God gave Jehoiakim into the hands, into the hands of Babylon. You see this big picture unpacks the snapshots of our patterns of behavior, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the flood, the Tower of Babel, Exodus, but not so much Exodus, it's the wanderings in the desert. There's a common theme of the wanderings in the desert. People are grumbling. They're asserting their independence. One of the phrases I love about Exodus while they're wandering around is when it's really, really bad, they said, well, you know, at least if we went back to Babylon, our bellies would be full. Or if we went back to Egypt, our bellies would be full. Get into the promised land, and it continues. Get into the judges, and it continues. Get into the kings, and it continues. And so I want to just unpack the rest of my time here just for a few minutes about the work of God that actually got the children of Israel where they are. And I want to do that by looking at Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. And this is about God speaking to the children of Israel about kingship. When you enter the land of the Lord your God is giving you, you've taken possession of it and settled in it, you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, make the people return to Egypt to get them more. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Um, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law that is taken from a Levitical priest. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And do not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. And so this is this reminder. And this is how I interpret that. The reminder to the kings is that they are not self-made. You see all the assertions of self-madeness, accumulation of good, accumulation of wealth, accumulation of power, uh, accumulation of the focus on self and how good and how powerful self is. And so when we look at the first three kings of Israel, we begin to see that uh, God is at work, but also we as individuals want to assert our own power. Saul was a mixed bag from the very beginning and led to a tragic end. The, the tragic end of Saul is he seeks out a witch for the purpose of divination to discover the will of God. And ends up dead and in a bad place. The next, uh, the next king, David, 
is deeply flawed but authentically repentant. Deeply flawed but authentically repentant. And so that's why we get the idea that David was a man after God's own heart. His, his, his sin, when confronted, he turned compassionately toward God and, and uh, did what was the right thing. And then we get to Solomon. And uh, Solomon is uh, a model of a wise monarch. But he ended poorly and his kingdom ended in disgrace, having turned his heart toward idolatry through foreign wives. And this is the turning point that leads to a divided kingdom and ultimately leads to that small but important insight. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some articles from the temple. Let me be really clear. The people are where they are because of their assertion of independence. And God has placed them where they are because this is His work of reconciling action. And this to us is a very strange place to be. This is a very strange place to be. Because we're so regularly pointed to the goodness of God and Him making it all things right, sometimes we miss out on His sovereign intervention. Again, remember, all of God's work is one grand narrative. God caring for His good creation and those He's created, human beings. And it's like God is at work for our good. And here's the way I think about it. God is confronting us in love and kindness. And we are regularly faced with His intervening grace that makes us uncomfortable. We're regularly confronted by His intervening grace that makes us uncomfortable. So I was thinking about it just came to my mind. God cannot love us more than He already does and He will not love us less. And He loves us too much to leave us clueless and in the dark regarding the consequences of asserting our own independence rather than following His good life. See, the, the children of Israel have been carried off into Babylon, but how often are we carried off into exile? Not a geographical relocation, but our choices and the assertion of our independence leads us to an awakening that somehow, somewhere, we're in a place of exile spiritually. And so for the next several weeks, for the next several weeks, we're going to be unpacking the idea that God's got this and that we can live well in the midst of difficult circumstances. Daniel gives us the opportunity to see God's love at work in different ways. And we're going to unpack all of the stories 
with an applicational concept that God is at work for good in us and through us and that we can live well in the midst of difficult times. So again, the two big ideas that we are going to be exploring over the next several weeks. In spite of present difficulties, God is in control and he will have final victory. And that God's people can survive and even thrive in the midst of a toxic culture. So for us to close today, I want to ask just simply this. In a brief, reflective moment, will you take your spiritual pulse? Like, like, will you just take your spiritual pulse? This is not condemnation. This is the opportunity for the intervening work of God to speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You just if you can do it this way, I don't know. If you can do it this way, put your fingers, take your pulse. Maybe it's this. Put your hand over your head and take your pulse. Just simply ask, am I asserting my independence and am in need of a correction? Or am I willing, am I willing, and if that's the case, am I willing to say yes to the intervening grace of God that's being poured out tonight. We're closing our service together today by coming to the Lord's table. There's nothing better than to do this with the idea of taking a measurement of where I am. So now, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would Awaken us to your presence. You can't love us more than you already do, and you won't love us less, and you love us too much to leave us where we are. So by your Spirit now, give us insight to where we are and the transparency to recognize it and the humility to turn to you in our dilemma. Saying yes to you, in all things, for you are.